welcome to Radio Trivia Podcast Edition. This is episode 104, and with me this week we have Pedro Hernandez. Hey guys, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to be back on the internet. Uh, I, uh, I apologize for the delays here. There have been a bunch of things going on in my uh, personal life as well as getting sick. I'm still actually recovering a little bit from that. But um, TYP has returned. Yeah, I, I wanted to get an episode out here. So um, you got a lineup here of a combination of uh, listener requests and Pedro requests. And I, I think it's going to be an interesting lineup. So please enjoy this belated episode of Radio Trivia. Soothing yet bizarre, in my opinion. We both have nothing to say about that. All right. <laughs> Just, I, I, was going, I, I was going to say that the shoe shoes might be a big clue as to what this game might, might be. Well, I, I think all the vocals in, in this game are a big hint. Yep. But, um, all right, here's your question. How does this game's striking visual style depict its characters? Well, 
I'm sorry, that song was really annoying. Yeah, we apologize. Well, this whole game is annoying, to be quite honest. I Really? Yeah, I, I bought this game on word of mouth, and man, I regret it. I, I just hate this game. It's it, I think it's a terrible oh, game. I think it's I annoying disagree. as hell. I disagree. You know, part of it's that this is sort of... This is uh Well, what game is this, Pedro? Let's tell this everyone. This is Feel the Magic. It has a really weird subtitle. I don't remember it right it's, now. It's uh, XY over XX, or XY slash XX. That has no meaning whatsoever in the game, but they're still putting the title anyway, so... What do you mean? It's about, like, a boy trying to hit on a girl, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So, the like, boy chromosomes, X, woman chromosomes. Come on, man. Oh, okay. Now that makes sense. Yeah. Well, anyway, this game is really annoying, and Pedro can disagree with me all he wants. Uh, part of the problem is that it's uh, kind of a WarioWare-type game, and that it's a lot of little mini-games, but um, I... I really just, I did not have fun. I probably played about an hour and said, I've had enough. I just put it away and haven't touched it since. Um, why do you like this, Pedro? Because I, I just, a lot of people praised it when it came out, but I think they were desperate for DS games. Well, even though I disagree with you about the game overall, I can't, I do see why some people wouldn't like it because it is a really weird and bizarre game where it's also a very experimental game on the DS so when you play the I don't I don't mind that it's weird or bizarre. My problem was that the controls were kind of wonky and I felt like I had to redo the same thing over and over again or most games kind of felt the same. I don't know, I just felt like when I failed I didn't know why I failed and I really didn't want to replay that little mini game and I just I just was not interested in the game. To be honest, I never had that problem when I played the way back in 2004. Mm. Um, I didn't have that problem at all. I thought it was really, really quirky. It worked really well on my end. Um, I, I have to say though that I might be biased because the game reminds me of the fall of 2004 when the DS came out and there was absolutely nothing to play on it except the Metroid Prime Hunter's demo. Oh God! Can you believe that was 2004? That was like <laughs> like eight years ago. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I know. Like seven it, and a half years ago. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> right now we have the 3DS on our hands, and we say, oh, it feels like yesterday that we just yeah. got the DS, the DS fat. So, anyway, so back then there was no games for the DS. You either had the Beta Prime. Hunter's demo and play to this over and over. Maybe pick up Super Mario 64 DS, but it had really wonky controls. So, or maybe go out and buy one of the better GBA games that were out at the time. For me, though, I picked up the game because I'm a really big fan of really weird, crazy, quirky Japanese games like like this. And this one is a really big weird game. So I got it, I played it, and I really loved it. I really enjoyed it. Like, I didn't have any of the problems that you mentioned. I, in fact, I was really into it. I, I even finished it from be, beginning to end. I, I got to the end, I kept playing it back. Um, but I do agree that maybe for some people it might be too much because it's actually one of those games where it tries to do its own thing rather than trying to do something that everybody's going to enjoy. And yet, it tried to do uh, the WarioWare mechanic, I didn't do it as well as the actual WarioWare part. I thought it was really fun, I thought it was really crazy, really cookie. And it was, it's actually on my top 10 list of favorite DS games. Wow. Um, okay, well, sir, I disagree, but I, I do think the uh, art style holds up very well. It's, um, you know, all, all the characters kind of silhouette. You can see their hair, but like their skin's black. There's no little facial features per se, and I, I still think that looks really good. And it's a clever way of kind of minimizing the 3D limitations of the DS, which surely this is a launch game or near launch game. They, you know, they were not familiar with the hardware yet. So I, well, I think it was clever what they did, and it still looks nice. And not to mention that the game came out around the same time where. 
when the iPod was beginning to get really hot with all of the commercials with the dancing shadow people. So people mm. saw the game and they were like, look, it's a game about the dancing shadow people from the iPod commercial. Is that why Striker Obi likes this game? Ugh, I didn't even put it together. Thank you. All right. Well, there we go. There you the go. Best, the best way to put it, you don't like it, I like it, it's a Pedro game. It's a big... Other people like it, too. I, I know that that I'm probably the minority on this game. Well, you know. What are you going to do? I love it anyway. We're going to go on to the second game here. Okay. really catchy yeah it's very actiony mm-hmm. if that's a word <laughs> Ashamed to admit it, I love it. <laughs> it's the kind of song that you would play marching down the street. Hmm? Is that a hint? Maybe. All right. Well, this game is loosely based on which real-world location?
I love that one too, even though I don't like uh, the mini game it came from. <laughs> Jeez, this is another game with mini games, huh? Mm-hmm. What game is this, Pedro? This is Adventures at the Magic Kingdom, which is based on what Disney World. Is it Walt Disney World or Disneyland? Well, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell because the overall layout of the game is based on the layout on Disneyland, but the game claims to be um, uh, the game claims to be that it is Walt Disney World because they mention Cinderella's castle, and that's the castle that's in Orlando, whereas in California. The castle is sleeping beauty castle. Oh, come on. That could have just been a translation error. That could have been, yeah, because that was way back in the day when people didn't pay attention to the translation, so everybody just left it off. And... But anyway, so it could be um, Disneyland, but it could also be Disney World in the fact that the original game cover had Cinderella's castle on front, so it led people to think that it was based on the... Orlando theme park. Pretty much all the attractions are found at both. I mean, the Magic Kingdom is Disney World is essentially Disneyland. There are some differences, but by and large, Disneyland is like one fourth of Disney World or something along those lines. So basically, if you guess Disneyland, you won. If you guess Disney World, you kind of won too. But yeah. if you guess Universal Studios, you fail. Well, we haven't used that game yet. <laughs> I don't think we will. I saw footage of that game and I died laughing because of how bad it was. Yeah, it, I think it's a pretty bad game. Well, uh, so this game, I haven't heard too much about this particular game. I know I know you go about kind of wander amongst the different attractions and each one kind of plays differently. Yeah, that's something that I was going to explain right now. Um, I might get really Disney nerdy over here, so tolerate me for a little bit. Um, the reason that I picked this game is because, for various reasons, number one, is that the game came out of the famous Disney Capcom deal way back in the days when they made uh, DuckTales, they made That We Talk, they made Aladdin, a lot of these awesome games, and, and this came out and people didn't like it that much because it was a minigame based uh, collection. and. So, Quite frankly, even though I think the game is underrated and I think it deserves to be tried out at least once, some of the minigames are poorly designed or are like, what the, f what the hell man, why did you make this game like this? Don't get me wrong, there are so many really good games on the collection, but for example, there's one minigame based on Big Thunder Mountain, but all you do in that one is just Pick a track and hope you win. That's it. It's so luck based and I really It's hate basically it. you have to choose a fork in the road, right? Yeah, you, you have to choose a fork in the road and hope that you land in the correct uh, finish line. Because you either land on the on the wrong finish line or appear on a dead end. And mm. that's that's not fun, that's all luck based. Uh, Who's gonna have fun with that? And the other one that I really don't like is the Space Mountain one, mainly because the attraction is so cool that maybe it deserves better. And all, all it is is a space theme quick time event, and those oh. are really annoying. So is it kind of like Simon Says or like Push A Now kind of thing? Yeah, it's Push A Now because what you're doing in the game is that in that in this mini game is that you're piloting the ship. And you're going flying around really fast, and then the buttons flash on the screen, and they, they tell you to, for example, hit A, or or try to hit um, left or right on the D-pad, so that you can take the course, the correct course. And the problem is that at the beginning, yeah, it's really easy to get into, but it goes on for far too long, and it gets really difficult. Like I said, push it out! No! No! You have to be really quick, and it's a really frustrating game to play, especially when you are a little kid when you try to just beat the game overall. But the other three games that are there's one based on Hunter Mansion, there's one based on Pirates of the Caribbean, mm -hmm. and there's Autopia. I had to correct that because some people really hate it when you, you say Autopia when it's Autopia, so. <laughs> 
For my Disney nerds, I'm sorry, but it's really hard to pronounce. Pete, Pete was right. Yeah. <laughs> calm down. Calm down, people. Calm down. So anyway, so the Haunted Mansion game and minigame and the Pirates of the Caribbean minigame are basically platformers. They're not perfect because the controls are kind of wonky, but they're really creative because unlike the other two games that I mentioned, they actually put you inside the attraction. Because right. you because you really feel like you're playing in the Haunted Mansion and when you and when you are a Disney nerd like me, you start to notice the little details like the hands coming out of the tombstones, the singing bust, the couples dancing in the ballroom. Like I thought that was really well made. Same with Pirates of the Caribbean where they whipped out scenes from the attraction itself, like the very end when you see the stash of gold and the skeletons singing and you see the the town place that is burning down, you see the ship mm. and the last one, Autopia, is a really basic racing game but it still works uh, and it really does feel like the attraction that it is based on and yeah. finally, the other reason that I picked this game is because recently uh, Kinect Disneyland Adventures came out and it's really interesting to see how technology has evolved from the NES days where you see the the game Adventures of the Magic Kingdom and you say that you see that it's really basic. You have like, like it's basically this little map where you match down the street and all of the attractions are on top of each other whereas <laughs> in Kinect Disneyland Adventures, you actually get to see the whole park as it is. So this means that if you want to go to Pirates of the Caribbean, you have to go to the castle, then take a turn to Adventureland, then go to the actual attraction and ride it there. So if you want to see Peter Pan's flight, you actually have to walk there. And in between, you get to meet characters, trade pins, you get to right other attractions why so, go to Disneyland then? They, they should be charging you like uh, like a thousand dollars for this game because it's the equivalent of the uh, like ultimate season pass for your whole family yeah because it has every single little detail that you could find at Disneyland it's in a game not everything of course because I have seen people complain about but where's the piano that is on Main Street on that shop I say shut up do they have the barbershop quartet I don't know if they have one, but I do know that the that they do have the latest Disney Parade Sensational as a mini game too. Oh crap! I forgot to mention something about the game. Uh, and, and this was something that I recently discovered about Avengers and the Magic Kingdom. I learned that the mus this musical composer was Yoko Shimomura, which we have featured before. She she was the lady that composed the music for the Mario and Luigi series, mm -hmm. and later on did the Kingdom Hearts series. Right. So I, I found it kind of funny that she started with a Disney game and would later become the main composer of a really big Disney game. So that's a fun fact for you guys. Alright, well we should probably move on to the next game. Mm -hmm. So uh, here we are. This is a request from uh, Taizona, uh, also known as Dan.
I've never played this game before, but I do enjoy the music from it. Me neither, but I think I can guess uh, which company made the game, but uh, that's something I'm going to say for later. a good one yeah I, I think i've used this on the live show before okay well uh here's the question for you this game is largely a port of which genesis game You already know what game this is, but do uh, you know what developer is without looking it up? I'm going to take a wild guess. I might be really wrong on this one, but based on the musical compositions, the, 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 was the game developed by Natsume? No, it actually is a really obscure company that, for all I know, has connections with Natsume, but the developer is Technosoft. Oh. Which is, uh, I believe, different from Technos, even though the, the names are quite similar. The, the reason that I made that guess is because it sounds really like a Wild Guns, which was developed by Natsume. You're right, it, it, it is kind of similar. I don't, I don't know if... I mean, they're both on Super Nintendo. 
this is Thunder Spirits uh, for, for all the listeners out there. For all I know, they, you know, it was the same composer. I don't know. I, I haven't looked that up. But it was not the same company. Even if it was developed on the Super NES and maybe the sound chips affect the musical quality, I don't know, but... Well, you know, there, there's some instruments that are more popular among certain, you know, circles. They could have been getting the same samples, you know, purchased from some other company. Yeah, but anyways, uh, I had never played this game. This is the very first time uh, I hear of it, but apparently it sounds really good. Well, it's um, it's a side-scrolling shooter, left to right, kind of, I don't know, R-type kind of game. Um, Technosoft is probably best known for the um, Thunder Force games on the Genesis, and uh, they're very similar style. This is actually a port, a modified port of uh, Thunder Force 3 for the Genesis, which was, uh, as with a lot of Genesis games, it was, it was kind of co-published by Sega, so when they brought it over to the Super Nintendo, they tweaked some stuff, changed a few of the levels, you know, modified the music, made it better, or at least different for the Super Nintendo, And uh, but yeah, apparently it shares a lot in common with uh, Thunder Force 3. Yeah, because it, what they did was put the game over from the Genesis to the Super NES, it would be basically a, a Sega exclu- developed exclusive on a Super NES system. It kind of is. I mean, I think there are a couple of franchises that have done this sort of thing. I mean, Sparks there for once. Oh yeah, Sparks. Well, there's a sequel that that was a sequel to um, Rocket Knight Adventures. Yeah, there's also sort of like the whole Adventure Island Wonder Boy thing. Yeah, Wonder Boy. Yeah. That's you know that's another one of those kind of well, it's Sega exclusive sort of, but not really. You know, so there are a couple of stories like that surrounding. Sega exclusivity, I think. really mysterious well this game is a mystery
Holy crap. You guys remember what I said earlier about how the music in the earlier games sounded like wild ghosts because of the instrument choices that they made? This one is a really clear example of that. And when we get to the game discussion, I'm going to elaborate on it. You'll be surprised. Chris also appears in which two other games from this series? you're confused at which system this is on there's a very good reason for that because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh it sort of sounds like a souped up genesis game but it's not a genesis game at all this is actually on the wii mm-hmm. and this is um of course uh, a castlevania game you have to have a castlevania fix every once in a while so this is castlevania rebirth for the wii sorry castlevania adventure rebirth for the wii technically we were we were, well, I don't distinguish between them and on this podcast, really, but... Yep, so this was a request from uh, Eric from Garland, Texas, also known as Roy Koopa 64 in the forums. Yay, Roy! Yay! So this is uh, not a game I've played, but uh, long-time listeners of uh, this podcast will know that I am not a classic Castlevania fan, so obviously this would not be a game for me. Um... This is a game very much in the, in the vein of the uh, NES or SNES games, with maybe a little bit of a Genesis slant in the audio side. So Pedro, have you played this game? I have not played this game, but even though my experience with Castlevania as a whole is very limited compared to some other gamers' experience with it, but I really enjoy the series for what it is. Uh, the very first Castlevania game that I played was Castlevania Portrait of Ruin for the DS and I got that game for Christmas and I loved it so much that I went on to play the other Castlevania games and I did, I, 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 as a kid I did play all the NES games but they were so confusing and hard that yeah. I gave up on the series so I pretty much ignored it because I knew that if it was titled Castlevania, I knew it was going to be really hard and challenging, therefore not for me. Yeah, I, I had a very similar experience as a kid. And obviously, uh, Portrait of Ruin is, is a more modern Metroidvania, Castlevania game, so I, I'm sure you were shocked when you played that and saw how different it was. Yeah, I know a lot of people are really passionate about the whole Castlevania classic versus Metroidvania, but I think the games start to become more interesting when they adopted the Metroidvania book of design. I thought that made it that much 
interesting. It actually makes sense to go around, explore the area, level up, and get into the story a little bit more, despite being cheesy and silly. And that's something that I really enjoy about Portrait of Ruin because it was really interesting. And for that being my first Castlevania game that I actually beat, that's really amazing right there. If you like Portrait of Ruin, I'd say that um, the other ones for DS are, are probably better. Yeah, I've been meaning to try to get those games, but right now they're really rare, really expensive. And I, but I, ever since I played Portrait of Ruin, I really wanted to go back to the DS games, and especially Symphony of the Night, which is the apparently the best game ever, and I had to try that out one of these days. Uh, you know, I mean, I played Symphony of the Night after I'd played a couple of the Castlevania games for the portables. And it, it's in a very similar style. And I mean, I'm not going to say it's a super amazing game. I mean, if it maybe it was your first experience with that genre, then maybe you'd say that. But I don't know. I, I think that uh, some of the GBA games and DS games are, are of equal quality. Yeah, okay. What I was going to say earlier that I mentioned in the second song is that you know who the who composed the music and for what company he composed it for when you listen to the musical choices that he or she made when composing the song and for this one i knew right away that it was konami because in nearly every modern soundtrack that they have made like maybe for the super nes or way back in the arcade days you, you there was a distinct Konami sound to it, like in the in the other songs, especially in the second one, there was a kind of like a it's really impossible to emulate. But if you listen to that musical chord, you are you are going to listen to it in other songs. Like for example, in Turtles in Time for the Super NES, you're going to hear it a lot. And on some DDR songs, Dance Dance Revolution songs, you're going to hear it too. So when you listen to that particular chord, you're going to know the person that composed it and the company that he composed it for, because it's really that distinctive. I can't explain it either. It, it, it's a it's an instrument that's just played as a chord, and it's like everyone stop. Anyway, the the uh, main character from this game is Chris Belmont and um, he also appeared in the first two uh, Castlevania games for Game Boy so that would be uh, Castlevania The Adventure which this is ostensibly a remake of and uh, Castlevania 2 Belmont's Revenge that's sort of the lineage for this particular game I, I suspect there is very little in common with uh, the first Game Boy game and uh, this WiiWare game that's something for the fanboys to argue about all right, we got one last game here. Yay!
I like how that song also has that instrument in it. <laughs> Maybe it was a really called the 90s. Just so you guys know, if you think you have figured out the game because of how this song sounds, you are going to be completely wrong, my friend. Come on. This one might give you a little hint, but there's still a good chance you might be wrong. What happens to your girlfriend at the start of the game? maybe a little closer to what I'm familiar with for this song. And I love it for it. I love it. Uh, what game is this, Pedro? You seem to know. This is Super Adventure Island for the Super NES. I can't say I'm familiar with this game, though. I've certainly played a couple of other entries in the Super Adventure, or the Adventure Island uh, series. This one, um, I guess this was maybe more of a traditional Super Adventure Island game, I guess. It's, it's a straightforward platformer. Yeah, I recently wrote about it on the Extra Life about Super Adventure Island. And like I said in the article back then, the reason that I really enjoyed these games is because not a lot of things 
change in the games but it's still really solid, really polished and most importantly really fun even though it provides one of the most frustrating game concepts of all time it, it's pretty brutal it's pretty much you just gotta memorize everything yeah it's something really interesting because uh, even as a kid when I, I would get really frustrated with really hard games and yet with the habitual island games I never got frustrated or angry I was like oh I lost mm. Because I think it's a game that rewards memorization, timing, and when you get everything down and you complete the level, you feel really great about yourself. Because because the game the games can get really brutal. Because when you have a level figured out, something pops up and completely ruins it for you. That you might be trying, oh yeah, I'm going to the finish line. I'm going to get to the end of the level. Some pig, some bird, some other enemy appears from the left side of the screen running into you and it's game over yeah see i've always found the adventure island series to be a bit too cynical for me in in terms of you know how how easy it is to die and so i'm not a huge fan of really difficult platformers there's certainly exceptions but i'm generally not i i don't submit to you know the harder you have to work to beat the game the the more fun the game is i mean sometimes that can be true but that's really interesting because I agree with you 100% with what you are saying, yet I still love the hell out of these games. Uh, I, I played nearly every single release that have been made of, under the Adventure Island game, except the sequel for the Super NES, Super Adventure Island 2. I hated that game because it was an RPG, not a platformer. <laughs> and it wasn't a particularly good RPG either. It was really confusing because you think you're playing a platformer and you're running around thinking it's a platformer but then they tell you to go to X town, pick up a mission or something and then the random encounters are really these small levels that you play through like a Super Adventure Island game so on one hand it's kind of like an Adventure Island game but then it isn't and that's why I really hated that game I know some people really love it like really really love it I've always been curious about the sequel to this game, but I'm, I don't know if I'd actually like it. Adventure Island's always one of those series that I don't really own. I think I maybe own one on Virtual Console or, or two, but every time I pick it up, I want to enjoy it, and maybe for the first eight or nine levels, I do, and then at some point, something clicks, and I say, you know what? This is too mean. This is too mean-spirited. I'm going to stop playing this. Not pretty far, and I think there was a Turbo Graphics game I got. That was a really good one. Uh, usually when I recommend the Adventure Island games, because I know that because of what you said already, the games are really really cynical in their design. So whenever someone asks me about the game, I say, try out the NES game first. If you like it, then you go on and try the other games. But if you hate it, stop it right there. Stop it right there because if you didn't like the NES game, you are not going to like the other games because even though they try to add some improvements like the NES sequels added the dinosaur companions they added an overworld map and all of these little neat things it's still Adventure Island and it's still a really hard game regarding the Super NES game what I really like about it is, is that it's a classic Adventure Island game it's basically the first game in the series we made with 16-bit graphics. And and I really love the music for it. Well, it's certainly very different music from a lot of the other games in the series. It gives it a different vibe. Yeah, it's very different because the other games had a more, more strict soundtrack selection where this is the happy level music, this is the right. creepy underground music, this is right, the tra- traditional Japanese platformer soundtrack. Yeah, exactly. But this one, it might be one of the most eclectic selections of songs ever because you have Calypso, you have funk, pop, something that doesn't have any genre whatsoever. It's really eclectic, really weird, but at the same time, really like it's a bunch of island, but at the same time, it isn't. And that's why it's one of the reasons why I love the game so much because the music is so catchy that you can actually listen it 
outside of the game and still enjoy it for what it is. So I have one thing I wanted to ask you since you've you've played this game a lot. Mm-hmm. Based on the videos, it seems like the the sprites are really big. Did did you at all feel like it's kind of like playing a Game Gear game or something, or is it paced so that you don't feel like everything is just sort of off screen and, and constantly being surprised? I have a theory regarding why the sprites are big, and I think that's something that I kind of noticed with the NES game when I was playing it on the Bishop console. I think the reason that the sprites are so big is because you are moving so fast, there's a good chance that your eyesight might miss out on a little detail like an obstacle, enemy, or even your own character. And because the sprites are so big, you're able to keep your, your eyes on the everything around you. So for example, you're running in front of a screen with trees on it, and you see the, the character clearly presented and then when you see something pop up on the screen it gives you the chance to notice it right away and skip it so maybe that's part of the reason why the spreads are always big in the adventure island series because the design is one based on timing and memorization and when you're able to notice the elements on screen very clearly it makes it easier to master it because if the, the sprites were very small or very hard to see it would have been just unfair and the design is a way cynical to begin with I, I don't know Pedro because to me it's kind of like the Sonic on Game Gear phenomenon where you can't see anything in front of you so you're more likely to, to die a cheap death because you, you can't see what's coming up I understand where you're coming from but I, I almost want to say that the sprites are big so that you can be surprised not have much time to respond. Well, I never found it that way. I always, maybe just me, maybe I have better eyesight, maybe I have a... Maybe you have better reflexes. Better reflexes, maybe, I don't know, but I always felt that it was that way. Again, it's my series, so maybe I might be wrong. You guys are free to correct me, disagree. Just so you know that it's my series. Alright, well, you, you can discuss this further in the forums, of course, so... Be sure to go to TalkBack for this episode, and uh, if you have thoughts on, uh, you know, whether having big sprites is good or bad for the Adventure Island series, please uh, post in the, in the fork thread. Before we go, I, I do want to ask you if you know the answer to the trivia question. Uh, what, what happens to your girlfriend at the start of this game, do you recall? What happens to the girlfriend in the game happens in all of the other games. She gets kidnapped. Uh, no, I believe in this case she gets turned to stone. Oh yeah, that's why. She gets turned to stone first, then she gets kidnapped. Oh really? (laughs) Okay, (laughs) maybe. (laughs) We're going to close this up. Alright, well, thank you Pedro for uh, co-hosting. You're welcome. It's been fun, as always. And uh, be sure to send requests. I, I keep getting more uh, requests for games, and I always want more. So uh, you can send your request to TYP at NintendoWorldReport.com or go to the uh, page for this episode, click on, on the link in that page, and, and you'll see a form. You can submit your request that way as well. Uh, and be sure to tell me uh, your name or your screen name, where you're from, and I'll uh, give you a shout-out on the show when, when I pick your game. All right, good night, everyone, and uh, tune in next time.
Feel the magic. XYXX is copyright 2004 Sega. Adventures in the Magic Kingdom is copyright 1990 Disney Capcom. Thunder Spirits is copyright 1990 Technosoft, 1991 Toshiba EMI. Castlevania Adventure Rebirth is copyright 2009 Konami. Super Adventure Island is copyright 1992 Hudson Soft.